Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Michael Basham. And we've kind of set some time aside to read a fantastic book by G.K. Chesterton titled The Everlasting Man. And uh, it's very dense, very, his references are incredible, understanding comparative religions. And, uh, you know, his name came to my attention from my research into Aleister Crowley. And uh, I remember Mike talking about it often. So I was definitely intrigued about the book and wanted to read it. And Mike uh, is the proprietor of Spirit Wars, which can be found on the Fringe Radio Network uh, with John McMahon. And he does a great show. It's a lot of interviews. But uh, we're going to talk about that. Also, maybe some current events after we discuss the book. But Mike, are you there? Yes, sir. Standing awesome. by. Awesome. Well, thanks. Go leader standing by. <laughs> right on. So uh, I really enjoy I mean, I got to get my notes up. Again, it's just another great book. The, the, the way that he broke down the everlasting man, G.K. Chesterton, was to break it into two parts. He, he, he wanted to talk about this, the kind of strange uh, personage of human beings, and then kind of juxtapose it with this other unique individual that we call Christ. So uh, it, uh, the, the intro, he kind of really starts out in the first part talking about man in a cave, cave paintings, and what we know about history, but also what people assume about uh, written history. But I think he makes a very good point that man, and it's kind of a biblical point as well, which man is very different from the animal kingdom and engaged in unique actions of action, imagination, and uh, art that I think are unique. And I think that, that he lays this groundwork um, to talk about the divinity and uniqueness of Christ in the second part of the book. And uh, it was interesting too, when I was reading this, cause I just did a book. I just read a book about uh, George Orwell's 1984. It's called the biography of 1984. And he referenced HG Wells and GK Chesterton also is influenced or referencing HG Wells's evolutionary tract about the history of mankind. And he, he's critiquing, uh, Chesterton is critiquing H.G. Wells in the intro and at the, at the very end of the book. And I found that to be, be interesting because of H.G. Wells is, I think it is the, the general view of this evolutionary view where history itself um, doesn't have as much meaning. And I think that Chesterton talks about uh, the advent of Christ with really great meaning for humanity, but also evidences crisis like this great change uh, into the world and uh anyway what what are your thoughts mike maybe i mean that was kind of a long intro but uh what wouldn't you Very read good. this you i know you read it in the past what was it like reading it again in the present well um i've been meditating and um rereading uh sections of the book and just to try to digest it down which you just did so very well I've decided, and I did a little a little late night kind of ramble and um, preview to today to kind of get warmed up. And I realized that the way to read Chesterton, one of the best ways, especially in this day and age, is just to read the end of each chapter because he kind of finally sums together all of his points. And as you said, the first half, he's kind of tackling Darwinism and a lot of philosophies. And then he gets into all the 
world history. Um, very similar to, um, what, was his, what was his name? Who wrote Tragedy and Hope, Bill Clinton's mentor. Oh, um, Sounds like a female. I know what you're talking about. Anyway, it's a, it's almost like a Christian version of that, like a just a expansive look, yes. just running through the entire history of the known world. Yes. And your mind is just like, it's almost like you're just seeing the earth from far away, you know, and you're looking at what is man, you know, and it's amazing to see how different just when you start looking at what a human actually is compared to what the Darwinists are just always trying to show you, you know, just gradually we've evolved from the amoebic whatever. And that's even more fantastic to, uh, of a nightmare, but he, he really expertly just kills evolution to start out. And then he just shows you the history of the known world. And he even hints, as we spoke last time, there was history before even the ancient Babylonians and the Egyptians. Right gave you the sense that the earth was already really, really old and that there were almost long forgotten other things that happened, which is so fascinating to me. Um, to kind of boil it down though, I really, um, I think it, it, especially to pick your mind with your expertise regarding the dark side that you have studied as far as you, your show is amazing, by the way, the interviews that you're doing, the in- investigative work that you're doing, it's so key and crucial to today. But with regards to, you know, um, all of the Aleister Crowley-inspired garbage and filth that we live in today and the culminating transhumanism and all the, um, you know, we're going to ascend and be like God and live forever, all of that connected. I mean, if we were able to channel Chesterton's mind to look at AI and look at what they're doing now, it's, it's very... Um, it would be good. I'm sure we can if we keep reading Chesterton. I, I recommend everybody listening to uh, we are we're hoping to get you into reading Chesterton. You know, just yeah. I and, think uh, that reading is really it because you have to kind of read it very carefully and yes. take your time, and it's definitely worth another re, at least for me another reread. You know, so um, but it's like the, the same thing yeah. happened. What was the earlier book that we talked about about him? Was uh, heretics or orthodoxy yeah orthodoxy or orthodoxy was the same thing like he starts off with you don't really know where he's going and then you figure it out that he's laying this groundwork that he wants to you know expand upon at the end i felt like that was the similar thing between this and orthodoxy and uh but i think it's it's the same thing i felt about orthodoxy very contemporary contemporary issues still talking about evolution still talking about comparative religion uh it brings in all everything from all over the globe confucian uh uh, muhammad you know all the old jewish traditions you know moses so he's really you know riffing i think really effectively and brilliantly on these different ideas that people have and the presumptions about christianity that he disabuses you know so i think that uh still it's just another timely book i mean i need to read it again but uh well again it's it's easy to um almost just maybe breeze through each chapter and look at for instance the last half of the book it ends with just a look at the church and how the church and i love this little quote really burned into my mind the other day i was reading and it says that the church has actually died over and over again since christ came and you know, he died and rose again. And this amazing fact of 
the gospel, which he looks at against the heathen backdrop, which is so cool. Cause you know, instead of being like, well, we all know about Christ and the, it's like, no, 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 you're a pagan guy pretending to be pagan. You're just coming and looking at this man and what he said and what happened. And, and then consequently, or con- after that is thousands of years, 2000 years of history and the church settles and dies. And then it's like rebirthed. And it's because the God of Christianity knows his way out of the grave. I mean, we have that God and other religions, not so much. You don't see this incredible passionate return to, I mean, all the new age Buddhism and and Islam. I mean, they're, they're around, but you just look at this and what he calls it is there's this madness in the world, but among all that madness, there's this incredible joy and love and just the fruit of the spirit of the Christians and just this ecstatic happiness. Like when you ever meet a Christian that really is in tune with God and, and loves the spirit, you know, um, it's just amazing. Um, before we go further, William, did you, did you hit record? I just want to double check cause I can't record from my end. So I am, have been recording. So hopefully you're recording. Okay. I'll make sure that. That's just I'll let, so let me change this. I mean, I okay. think that I can manage it. Allow record. Try it now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just as I think I had to hit some button. Um, I will make sure that this records. No, but that's an excellent point. So I think that he finishes up really strong with all of these different elements, the witnesses, how how, uh, interesting this event and how unique Christ was in comparison to all these people. I really like when he was talking about the mad guy as representatives of this old, mystical order this old yeah i thought that was i i remember you know that was uh really one of my favorite parts where i was really getting into it but i think he says here's the important point that the magi who stand for mysticism and philosophy are truly conceived as seeking something new and even as finding something unexpected that tense sense of crisis which still tingles in the christmas story and in every christmas celebration accentuates the idea of a search and discovery so, I mean, they're talking about that. I think that that was really fascinating. And also how he likens the manger to the original entry of the cave, right? So he's talking, he talks a lot about how, you know, the advent or the, the first prehistory of man is this cave. And then it restarts with the cave of, you know, Christ and uh, Christ and Mary, right? So, and being around these animals, it, you know, really art, artful comparisons by Chesterton. So it t- definitely tipped my hat to him. He really combines, like when, when he paints a picture, he's almost sketching and drawing and pulling from all this different knowledge and information in history. But then there's an aspect of him where he's, he's just almost in a bliss state of almost a prophetic mystic. <laughs> just, yeah, no, because, it's I mean, fascinating. I don't know how he... But I really believe that you you read him. It's not just an old dusty book. You feel the joy in his yeah. words. You no, feel I totally agree. But also the things. the great kind of insight that he has, you know, that is really unique. And a lot of I didn't expect. You know, that's that's the the kind of wonderful thing about Chesterton is how clever and and imaginative he is. You know, very much so. Like uh, not in other writers kind of you come into an apologetic book of which this is one oftentimes you're just seeing 
you know, kind of dry recitations and uh, references to the to the New Testament or something like that, of which he does reference, but in context. And Chesterton is a lot different, in my opinion, in the way he talks about it. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, yeah, it's the same thing with orthodoxy. Orthodoxy ends la the last book or ended with about mirth and joy. And I think that that's yeah. kind of his view of the advent of Christ is that that's what it's for. Although even though he takes different things about Christ that I think are unique is that one of the paradoxical aspects of Christ is that he's headed on a heroic journey, but the heroic journey is to death. You know, that's like his, yes. everything is pinned up to that. And I think he makes oh, that. Oh man. That yes. I found that yes. to be interesting. Yeah. Well, later on, um, if I can just read a few lines Dude. here that, something goes but that the, that this has that the christianity that the christian well let me go let me not guess what he said okay yeah it it has endured for nearly two thousand years and the world within it has been more lucid more level-headed more reasonable in its hopes more healthy in its instincts more humorous and cheerful in the face of fate and death than all the world outside for it was the soul of christendom that came from forth from the incredible christ and the soul of it was common sense Though we dared not look at, on his face, we could look on his fruits, and by his fruits we should know him. The fruits are solid, and the fruitfulness is much more than a metaphor. Nowhere in this sad world are boys happier in apple trees, or men in more equal chorus singing as they tread the vine, than under the fixed flash of this instant and intolerant enlightenment, the lightning made eternal as the light. And that's the end of the book. Of the the end of the book, yeah, I remember that. But... It's just considering all the darkness of the world, the pagans and the journey of the cross that Jesus went through and bringing through this resurrection power and, and just from a purely practical, commonsensical mindset, looking at the world and how civilized, the, although there, there, is, there are snakes in the garden and he was definitely pointing out the advent sure. of the Nazis. Yeah, I think you're uh, that's a very All important that. point you're making. That's why he's been shadow banned. You know, you don't find him anywhere except for little Catholic bookstores. And who's what Catholic's going to go and read and understand Chester? Well, I want to ask you about two things. You bring up really two great points. Uh, I can break them up. One is the surprising amount of addressing the, the demonic paganism and counterbalancing Carthage with Rome, but also is the fact that and we can address those in different points, but is the fact that Chesterson is his view of the church as Catholic, does that negate his writing? Because I talked to some Christians who the moment you bring up Catholic, if you're a Protestant, Oh, the whole thing is, <laughs> the whole thing is throw away, chuck it in the garbage. So well, we can address that, whatever one you want. Don't you think it was a little bit different in his day, about a hundred years ago, it's like, this was not a Jesuit Pope you know, agreeing with Hitler, Hitlerian ideas of, you know, United Nations takeover. And I mean, that in that time, I, cause Chesterton maybe wasn't going to all the churches and, you know, going and he was really experiencing everything through literature. And, and then he was kind of a worldly guy. I mean, every picture with him, he's smoking a cigarette and, you know, he talks about drinking alcohol and, you know, hanging out with people in London and media and news and he was writing articles he wasn't i mean if honestly i don't think that it really 
changes anything about him to me that he was looking at it because he's looking at the church from its very inception and he acknowledges uh, bad popes and horrible things that happen and the deaths of the church and the resurrections of it. And um, I know he doesn't like Martin Luther very much. <laughs> Did you get to that part? It's like, no, I must've missed that. But oh, I didn't feel I didn't. like he was overtly Catholic. I mean, I've seen no. like super yeah. strident Catholic types. And I think that he was yeah. a little bit more vague. Like, you know, I think that he might even, he did, I did very little product mention of Protestantism. He doesn't talk about the Pope or like being, I mean, it, there's many different kinds of Catholics too. And I don't think he was the kind of Catholic that was using, you know, to try to get people to join Catholicism. He mostly just talked about the Christian faith. Right. So in that sense, he's a very universal um and, and even anyone can approach him, even non-Christians, because it's so, the things that he says are just common sense and they're just true. And that's why they hate him so much. Well, <laughs> I think you're making a great it. point there because I think he uses the church in a universal conception. Yes. You know? I, mean, I, I, mean, I would almost be a Catholic in some ways that I think, I don't, I can't stand just some of these Protestant churches where you go and like, they have no concept of the past, of what's happening in the world. And it's a lot of emotionalism without, without wisdom. And um, I mean, to me, Chesterton is the original info warrior. He's a mystic. He's got a great foundation of faith. Doctrinally, checks out. I mean, and in many cases, you could almost just reboot Christianity using a lot of things that Chesterton said, and and kind of even heal some of those um, breaches between the Catholics and the Protestants. If you yeah. think about it, like that was the main beef he had is he's like Martin Luther, those, those German eyes looking at the blaze of all those books in the cold night of the German forest. You know, <laughs> you're just like, I didn't know Martin Luther was so scary. <laughs> yeah, really. Now, Martin Luther at first wanted to reform the church. He just didn't think it could be reformed. Right. I mean, I think that was my understanding, you know, and the mistakes have been made. Look at the Israel, the kings of Israel, like God uses the choices that we make. You know, we want a king. Okay, fine. You're going to have a king. And then he, you know, Jesus is born of the seed line of David. Most of the kings were a mess. But it's, it's like now we're in this situation with Catholicism and Protestantism and millions of denominations. And most of them are dead churches now. The Catholic church is pretty much dead. Too. I mean, that's what the Catholic Church is. I mean, spiritually, there's some people that are alive, but I would say that the fringe Christians, the, the things that you've been doing with Johnny and all these shows on the fringe circles, that's kind of going to be a revival once the Catholics get their hands on some of these old books and all this hidden knowledge and lore and stuff. You know, um, I think we're pretty far past the Catholic Church and the Protestant. Well, you, I think you could make an argument that the new kind of uh, internet church or conversation could, could be put in the whole strain of a great awakening. I think that you could make that argument because people aren't constrained by politics. They just say what they feel. So it's more of an ecstatic right. view of that than just something of a rote book where you're just reading off a, no, Sunday the 3rd, this is our text and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, we're, we're so far beyond doing that. I mean, there's certain things that we should, I think we should do, like have communion and have worship and, um, and we're working towards that. But um, I really, I've, at least for me, I found Chesterton in a Jesuit university in Tokyo 
and I was raised really, you know, heavy duty faith in the God and the Bible and um, Protestant, but you know, my grandfather's works with uh, Derek Prince and all that. It was like a very good, hearty Protestant foundation, but there was a sickness that I could feel and a blindness to what's going on in the world. And in Tokyo, I was just separated from all those people. I didn't have any of my old friends. I didn't have shepherds or guardians like saying, well, Michael, what are you talking about? Oh, no, that's not, you know, I had some friends, but it was like, the fellowship wasn't there. And then I started to learn about the world through the Jesuit school system there. I mean, it's, they're brilliant, but there's some real devils and some of the classes were totally liberal and just so empty. And the Japanese literature professor, I remember she would give us these horrible, horrible works of like worshiping suicide. And, and I was just, and I was only 20. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. And then I found the everlasting man and, uh, Peter Millward, who had C.S. Lewis's letter addressed to him on his desk, the G.K. Chesterton Award of 2003 on his desk, and told me stories about going to Tolkien's classes. And I was just like, I want to, I want to study with you. I was going to, I was going to stay. I was going to try to apply for the program. I did. And the very next day I met the family, the children of God, and I worked with them for 10 years (laughs) instead. But and we, you've interviewed me about that, but um, it was just like, I keep coming back to Chesterton though, as he was like the light of just pure Holy Spirit bath of, oh, this is what the world is. I don't have to read all this garbage that these Jesuit professors are giving me. Like, this is it. And it, and throughout the years, it's been a, a lighthouse and kind of a sanctuary, you know, of coming back to like, I mean, it, there's everything in it. I don't want to go ramble too much here, but he no. But I think you're right. I mean, it's like he's everything. got a theology, classics, comparative religion. It shows yes. is the breadth of his understanding is like his knowledge of just Carthage classicism. But like just to yes. kind of rip, if I had to sit through some classes that I had to sit through when I was 20, that I had to sit through if I was today, I'd just walk out. Like, but when you're 20. You just sit there and take it, man. Whatever these people's crazy ideas. I mean, some of those professors got away with freaking, you know, I won't, I just, just horrible teaching. But when you're young, you don't have any context. You just go, okay, this is what I'm supposed to learn. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. But, I grew uh, up in universities too. My dad's a professor of violin, thank God. But you can still feel the, the emptiness. And they, they really do get away with murder, murdering the innocence. And yeah. Uh, I wasn't going to say that, but that's the word that came to mind. They get away with okay. murder. They do get away with murder. They really do. And a lot of people, they'll kill the uh, instinct for learning, you know, by just yeah. you know, rote stuff. And if it's super politicized too, it's just holy smokes. They're, the professors are terrified what to say. Did you learn violin? So I take it you know violin? I did when I was a kid. I, I kind of got into the piano for a few years. Um, I played with a. I, I got to study with a very famous pianist named Ivan Davis. You can look up Ivan Davis, and but I wasn't that good. I just, I mean, it was kind of like my entry into University of Miami, and then I was out of there. I wanted to go to Japan and, you know, be a Jedi like my father. University of Miami oh, in Miami, right? Or was that University of Miami, Ohio? In Miami, in Miami. Florida. Yeah, my dad uh, taught violin there, um, associate professor of violin, and then he's now he's the concert master of the Naples Philharmonic. So. That was kind of my upbringing of homeschool plus classical music. Mom's a flutist. My dad is 
violinist and that's kind of a buffer from the world you know it wasn't so then being dropped from that into the school system i went to public school for uh, i went to uh, naples high school public school and it was just like evil <laughs> it was like that so was you went from like homeschooling reading the gospels to yes. public school which evolution and uh probably tons of drugs Crazy. Oh yeah, it was like gang city. Like, and I would walk around with this exact kind of shirt, just you know, oh, I'm just a good boy, you know, walking around with my. And the cop would come up to me and be like, "Who are you? Yeah. I've never seen you." And he he thought I was a drug dealer, <laughs> just because I I didn't fit in. I had so many bullies, you know. Every it was it's miserable. Rough. It's rough, but yeah, well, but then when you find something like this, it's like. Like the lightsaber. The refuge, yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to go back to my original two-part question. What did you think? Like, I was surprised about how much demonology and human sacrifice that he actually referenced in this book. Mm -hmm. Do you remember those parts? That was my first introduction to the idea of witches killing children and the pay just this ancient hatred of innocence and children. I had never exposed been exposed to that or heard of that and when i heard those words i i didn't discover anything about the occult or you know i've known not to touch that until years later but that was like whoa that makes so much sense like that that's but i mean for me it was like that classical knowledge of him but like talking about carthage is uh, he he actually doesn't think that civilization is really that uh I mean, there's a lot of discontents with civilization. That civilization doesn't mean that you actually engage in the best of all possible behaviors because he references Carthage, some of these other states, that Carthage was basically based on child sacrifice, you know? And that's a kind of a famous phrase in Latin that the Romans used during the Punic Wars was lenda est Carthago in Latin, but he kind of extrapolates that into the symbolism of what this new religion of Christianity is supposed to destroy is this old kind of uh, Moloch loving. I, and I had no idea that Hannibal means grace of vow. Like, so I learned, you know, I learned a lot of stuff just by reading uh, Chesterton and the Balaam, the old gods of, uh, you know, ancient Israel. So so there's little aspects there that you learn a lot, at least for me. If you look at the occult too, they've um, basically been channeling those old gods and trying to bring back human sacrifice. I mean, I think that's where this um, abortion stuff is going too, is that they're not just trying to make it so that you can have an abortion or, you know, oh, pedophilia is not so bad. They're trying to get it back to the old system to, and this would be some of the more out there shows that you listen on, on YouTube and on the fringe and things, but as Stan Dale would say, they're trying to open the gateways back to those old gods. Right. And really in Rome and in Greece, like they weren't, I'm sure there were cults that were, but you know, it, it was a system that the iron system of Rome was really what made it possible for Christianity to extend around the world. And we're kind of in almost a Roman system. I think Chesterton makes that point. Yeah, absolutely. He, did you read the part where he's like, it seemed like Jesus had a real, liking towards roman soldiers like, no, he did he said he preferred he preferred the romans to the jews flat out wrote that which uh in a lot of ways if you look at it he it seems like he did you know the romans actually had preference for him because if you look at uh 
Pontius Pilate's dealing with Christ, he's trying to save him, you know? I don't see any fault in this man. Isn't there like something, tradition, where you put another man and, you know, allow him to be saved or, you know? So, and then Pilate washes his hands. But the mob, the Jewish mob, you know, doesn't want that. So, yeah, it's an interesting point. There's even a letter um, from Pontius Pilate to Caesar, who, which says that he, um, he didn't find anything in Jesus to be in any way against the Roman Empire. It was very, and you know, if you, if you look at the, the American military and any good soldier anywhere, I've, I used to teach uh, Taiwanese military English for little summer camps and stuff. And now I'm in Hawaii and I'm surrounded by every branch of the military. And I'm sure okay. some different agencies too that wouldn't disclose. But these are some of the best people that I, I'm sure there's rowdy soldiers and bars and everything, but you're like, when you're talking to a, a disciplined, trained soldier, you're just, I, I, these are some of the, the most fun people to be around, to work with, to talk with. And uh, even online, a lot of our partners, they're from the 101st Airborne, uh, U.S. Army, you know, former, you know, uh, signals intelligence officers that we regularly fellowship. I mean, these are like my church now too. And it's oh, like cool. with soldiers. And then, I, and then I remember that quote from Everlasting. It's like, yeah, Jesus really seemed to get along with. So when we're talking about America, the horror of Babylon and, oh, you know, U.S. military, you know, evil, illegal wars. And, but the, I mean, the soul of, it's almost like that kind of system from Rome has been transplanted here now in a way like you've seen those soldiers i i don't know if i could really say i'm, I'm kind of well um, you could probably extrapolate that to the rise of christendom through the u.s which you know the the two parts were commercial involvement and christendom right you could probably say that in some yeah. ways dc and the u.s is a, is a kind of functioning as a new rome right because if the christian if the original right. founders of the christian church were not associated with the Rome like Paul is traveling to Rome right on all of their transport and that's the seeds of going from Ephesus to Thessalonia right and and writing to each one of those little seeds within the Roman Empire that you know grew out to that and uh, Pontius Pilate that was the quote I, I forgot he said um, you know apparently Jesus even said give to Caesar what is Caesar's he quoted Jesus in the letter saying where's that was that letter in uh, where was that letter found is that in uh, famous letter it's there's a little bit of controversy about it um, it describes him as having kind of golden hair as well like not not like the dark-skinned um, Arab Aramaic kind of look I guess that everybody you know it's it, so there's some speculation as to whether it's totally trustable but um, if you look it up on the internet anywhere, you can find a famous letter from uh, Pontius Pilate regarding Christ. It's a few pages long. I'm trying to find that quote where he preferred the Romans to the Jews because I, I had I added that highlight and I'm trying to find it. Okay, while you're doing that, I will read another little ending of a chapter. This is again the How to Read Chesterton. This is the last chapter before the other that was the conclusion that i had read before but okay um he talks about the whole medieval order in many ways so complete and almost cosmic a home for man wore out gradually in its turn and here at least 
it was thought that the words would die. They went forth across the radiant abyss of the Renaissance and in 50 years were using all its light and learning for new religious foundations, new apologetics, new saints. It was supposed to have been withered up at the last in the dry light of the age of reason. It was supposed to have disappeared ultimately in the earthquake of the age of revolution. Science explained it away and it was still there. History disinterred it in the past and it appeared suddenly in the future. Today it stands once more in our path and even as we watch it grows. He's talking about the church and just that this Christianity just doesn't seem to go away no matter what you do. It's a futuristic religion. That's the coolest thing. And it's not really, it doesn't fit in the box of like Buddha, Mohammed, Krishna, Jesus. It's like totally kills that. But then when he starts to focus his intellect on what is Christendom, suddenly it's like, you know, like time space portals, ripping dimensions opening, you know, and, Man, if only he were here today. But um, a lot of what we're doing is thanks to to a lot of his work. Well, we're just we're keeping him alive, right? That's the importance of books. That's the importance of like this. You can see through time. Um, here's the quote that he says. This is from chapter two of the second part of the book. Chapter okay. chapter two is Riddles of the Gospel. In my version, it's page twenty six. He says. There is nothing that throws any particular light on Christ's attitude towards organized warfare, except he seems to have been rather fond of Roman soldiers. Indeed, it is another perplexity, speaking from the same external and human standpoint, that he seems to have got on much better with Romans than he did with Jews. But the question here is a certain tone to be appreciated by merely reading a certain text. We might give any number of instances of it, so this is kind of a funny funny observation, which uh, in part is true, I think. I think it's true. Well, where are we today? You know, and I, I don't know if you want to jump into, I don't know where your time is or how much you want to, Whatever. I'm, I'm okay. Um, I've got time. I've got at least 20 minutes. My motorcycle. Oh, you got at least 20 minutes. Okay. That's, that's but like, I actually, we're, I just, not very much time. No, I want to, but there was like, uh, we're still at it today because I just posted something about, uh, oh, now I can't even remember his name where he's, he's Jewish. He still thinks that, uh, Christ was a, uh, uh, a revolutionary against Rome and got hung for it. So it's a total, uh, Ben Shapiro, like some guy with like 3 million YouTube followers and all these Christians listen to him. And he doesn't even have a spiritual world worldview that's consistent with their beliefs. It's amazing. That's just historically not true. I know, all. but this guy, <laughs> you know that Shapiro, he's very well educated. He has like a Harvard law degree. I don't know where he did his undergrad studies, but it's the most, it's, it's uh, blazing ignorance actually out of his mouth because yeah. there's a full, you know, there's all kinds of writing from Josephus and all these things that talk about Christ in a completely different instance. But if you're only reading the Talmud, then that's probably what you're, that's okay, what yeah. you're yeah. right? He's probably only reading rabbinical ta- Talmudism is my guess. Probably. <laughs> yeah. But there's just so much ignorance out there and, it's important. I mean, if, if you're in, in a sense, what we're doing is sharing intelligence, you know, we're listening and, and sharing and, and you're interviewing and writing books and we're um, networking with so many different people. And if you go back to the roots and get a good foundation from a writer like Chesterton, it'll enable us to more 
just to kind of, you know, when you yeah. have someone that's just shooting their mouth off and doesn't have any clue, and you can be like, um, with all due respect, uh, Mr. President, uh, it wasn't like that. It was like this. <laughs> Maybe we should get the everlasting man. Now let's read chapter three. Let's go. Second half. I mean, there's the, an act of apologetics. I you got chapter any... three open there? Uh, I do. Well, I just had chapter two. What am I at? Let's see. I've been skipping to the very end of, of the second book. Okay, so yeah, you haven't actually... Um... The strangest story in the world, chapter three. I'm just saying, I'm just using that as a general reference, just as a hypothetical. That's all. Okay. I'm going to open my, my, my Kindle is like struggling just to open. <clears throat> you know, one, another interesting thing that, you know, this whole, this whole concept of uh, this kind of demonic thing that he emphasizes is that Herod, the Idumean, right. Who killed the, the, the children in Nazareth is part of this whole Carthaginian stream, which is another interesting point from from uh, Chesterton is something that I never really thought about, which is kind of, it's like, kind of like a kind of a child sacrifice, right? Wow. Down to Christ. Here's my cat. <laughs> Ramsey's cat. This is epic historical. Oh, she, she knows that <laughs> when I'm sitting down, she can come bother me. Anyway. I had a gecko running around here somewhere, but I don't think it's as cuddly. Um, but if you want to move out of Chesterton, I'm more than willing. We can go and talk whatever you want. If you want to talk about current events. I never move out of Chesterton. It's like okay. everything that we're dealing with. I mean, what we're dealing with, um, what's happening in the White House today and what's happening with the different agencies waking up and realizing like, oh my gosh, like there are literally pedophiles in high places and this demonic, just this Illuminati, whatever it is that wants to try to shut down the American government and turned into a hellhole right. and that there are actual patriots in and why i was kind of leading towards the military and the agencies is and i'm meeting people that you know they've worked with the fbi and i i don't know if i've met cia yet here but it seems like this whole island is crawling with just every single type of government person hey, and you, you start you stop looking at them as spooks and thinking like oh you guys are the you know you're the enemy no, like there's tons of people that we need to reach out to and they need to understand that what our enemy is today is an ancient enemy right. and that writers like Chesterton really hammered it into the mainstream in their generation. But then there was a little distraction called World War II that people kind of maybe lost their everlasting man books, you know, in the fires or something. But there's like, and then I'm using complete total vernacular when I go on live and I'm just blabbering. And I no, but you're making perfect sense, dude. That makes perfect sense. You're in it right again. You're right back with the Moloch, right back with the Carthaginian. It's happening. It's right there. It's the, the same religion, in right? Office, everybody's looking at their Twitters. You know, Trump is looking at Twitter all the day. And, you know, it's like, where do you go back to that quiet place where you really, somebody unfurls the ancient scroll and says, Mr. President, I think you should see this. You, the ancient uh, Carthaginians, uh, they, you know, and, and that's where we are. We have that with, with our platforms, um, which is why I, I would recommend anybody listening to also consider starting a podcast, consider reading some of, some of uh, these essays of Chesterton. We need more of these out there. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there that want on YouTube, but they just try to read through the whole book and you're just like, uh, I don't know. I think you got to contextualize it. Yeah, we but have I mean, to be able to look digest at this. It down. 
Look at this whole weird thing that's on Jeffrey Epstein's island with the owl motifs and yes. the gold and blue and tunnels. And there's an owl. Yeah, there's like a two, there were two owls. I guess he's trying to take it apart or something's going on because somebody actually <laughs> oh, no. took. Yeah, they took a drone and went over, and the owls are gone. But these guys oh. are into some heavy duty occult stuff, man. It's not good. So. I, he's I never article. getting out of jail. He probably will never get out of jail because too many people okay, are coming. Good. So Ranieri well, went down too, and you know there were things involving Ken, uh, Keith Ranieri of Nexium that were very dark. He actually called himself Lucifer. That's what he would tell his followers. So he was right in line with Hubbard and some of these other people who really not only identify, they become one with the devil in that regard. Well, that's the um, the dead body under the you know under the floorboards of the living room that we've been all playing Nintendo and watching cable TV, and all along there's been that smell. But it's like, ah, just smoke some cigarettes, and you won't smell that. And then somebody comes in and like, what are you guys doing? Like, there's literally a dead body here somewhere, and that's the revolution right now that I think finally. And we might be culminating to that B system finally in this generation. There is going to be a showdown. I just don't think we knew how many good guys there were going to be in high places. That's really exciting to me because I've lived in communist China and done underground mission work. I've seen the fear and the emptiness and this country has something that all other countries, you have people in every country that we go to that love rock and roll and Hollywood movies. And they just think America is like this great place. They're not all anti-American. You go out there and, um, that's where like this generation, as we're exposing the pedophilia and it's finally coming true, you've probably done shows about Epstein. I wouldn't be surprised if you've talked no, no, about it. I did three shows, yeah. I, I, I didn't really, I was kind of late to the game. Opperman started, I think in 2015 or 2016. Okay. But you know, that was all very covered. The mass, mainstream media only really started covering Epstein the last week. So. Yeah. <laughs> man, it's, yeah, it's embarrassing. It's he's involved, hey man, he's involved in some heavy duty stuff. One of the filings in one of the cases, it was the uh, case that Jufrey, one of the victims, is suing Dershowitz for um, defamation. There was a map that showed where Epstein was going and traveling around. And one of the stops is in Tangier in Morocco. And the first thing that came to my mind is that's the same kind of place that Crowley and L. Ron Hubbard went to go solicit little boys. So is, is Jeffrey Epstein involved in that stuff too because that oh, would get it significant much darker than what's publicly and i think there's all kinds of dark stuff involved and some of his friends and some of those people have been to those islands if you look at the post on crazy days and nights it gets brutal really brutal and it's it's also very um you could say the deep state secret space program and weird rituals off planet type weird stuff, which could be drug induced hallucinations, but we can look at um, Dan, Dan Duval on the fringe radio networks also interviewed quite a few of these survivors and they believe that they've been in these underground crazy, crazy sacrificial wow. rituals that get into some extremely um, it's just like hell is unleashed. There's things out there that <laughs> I don't know if your audience would be really ready to just jump into that know. kind of wormhole of crazy. But, but it's, do you think these people are summoning? Do you think they're summoning demons? 
oh, they absolutely are summoning demons. I mean, look at the main kind of line of like even the millennials that are just, they're twisted into this like libtard kind of like, I hate men and I think babies are terrible and I hate God. And they just like scream with our autistic shrieks of just anything that, that offends them. They get triggered and they're just like, that's a demonic. Don't you, yeah. Don't you think that's all just part of the conditioning? Social underneath all of this, there actually is, as Russ Isdar, if you've been with on uh TV, he has talked a lot about the satanic black awakening and that there are these (laughs) underground armies of millions of satanic super soldiers. And I've personally met people that could have been, or at least they believe that they were a part of that. Uh, And it deals with some very, very high tech stuff that the public has not been made aware of yet. Um, and it, it just gets really sci-fi at this point. So I don't know if we want to get too into detail. I don't mind, but I, I mean, I think, surprised. don't you think that some of these like mind control guys who go crazy are, have been subjected to uh, MKUltra type programs? Yes. Like they may walk into a shrink's yeah. office and say, hey, I'm depressed. And, you know, four months later, they're basically zapped. They're on some kind yeah. of weird drug that, Oh, this is take this pill. This is just an antidepressant, John, and it's probably like I would never take a pill from a psychiatrist. But oh, well, okay, I know that I grew up around a lot of these strengths and stuff when I was in Palo Alto, and I don't trust any of them. You don't, you get oh man, you don't know what's any of those pills too these days. Holy smokes, the pharmaceutical industry—that's pharmacia. Yeah, I mean, a lot of their stuff is just complete. A lot of their science is just. It's just complete fiction. It just makes facts up. I mean, and it's off the charts. To that, to the sell idea a pill. underground, and then adding to that, there's underground dungeons of of not just underage girls with politicians, which I'm sure they do that just to kind of, um, what's the word? Compromise blackmail. Yeah. blackmail. That's where they think he got all of his money from. He's like, he has some kind of scheme going on here because nobody knows where he got his money. Well, then, he's getting back. He has, he has backing of very wealthy people. That's what I think is happening because nobody ever saw him on Wall Street. Nobody's ever known anybody who's investing. So his whole story right. is a legend. It's legendary and intelligence legend is really the proper term. So there's something really deep going on with Epstein. Somebody's financing him. It's probably just the, you know, that tunnel, that might be a symbol, that little temple thing with yeah. the elevator that that's, that could be. Well, very some of his friends are very, and I mean, we can, I wouldn't even say this online, but I know a lot of stuff of people he's hanging out with that are. Um, yeah. Illuminism, flat out Illuminism, you know? Yeah. So, smart, intelligent kind of Illuminism, symbolism, all that stuff that they know. So there, you know, it's not a, it's not a joke. Well, we don't want to get anybody in trouble, but it's definitely a big picture view of this, a, a G.K. Chesterton bird's eye view of all of this information, which seemed to indicate that the, the stuff that you, Russ Dizdar, a lot of um, Dan Duval, people that are dealing with SRA survivors, their testimonies, it says in the mouth of two or three witnesses. I mean, we've got hundreds of witnesses of people who say they've been raised in satanic families. They witnessed my babysitter was one of them growing up my actual they don't talk about it either too you know they're embarrassed or ashamed to talk about it it takes them years and a lot of them it seems like they have the this kind of brainwashing like memory wiping thing where a lot of these kids 
go through this ritual abuse, but then they're either threatened to never tell anyone. Like the last one was so horrible. It was like they took they took a bunch of kids to some barn. They found a woman on the side of the street that was hitchhiking. They brought her there and they impaled her on a pitchfork in front of the kids. And they told the kids, if you ever tell anyone anything that we're doing, you will be killed like this woman. And and half the time they were they would do stunts that make them believe it was real, but then they would find out it was fake. But in this particular situation, um, the victim, the lady that was grown up by then, but when she was a child, she believed that it was a real murder, that they were actually committing murder in front of kids and killing kids too in front of each and having them kill each other and do just twisted, horrible things that only a demonic, only Satan himself would do because he knows God loves kids. He loves, God loves children. And, you know, any sane human would do everything that he could to protect their children. Not if you read some of those stories, culture. yeah, if you read some of those stories in the Franklin cover-up by the camp, you know, he talks a story yeah. about, uh, what's his name, Hunter S. Thompson. Like, they just had kids and they just killed them, you know? Like, he, and he, yeah. Thompson was in public on David Letterman saying, I like to kill. So a lot of stuff kind of overlaps each other. And that guy was out of his mind, you know? Well, in the Bible, it talks about a king killing his own son to stop Israel's armies. And it works. Apparently, there's power in that. So um, that's kind of the situation that we're seeing now. And I mean, Epstein, he's probably the top of the, of the iceberg. Well, no, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up in the Old Testament because there's like a, there's like a Baalic, um, like a uh, ark or whatever they put in New York recently, right? Didn't they put like some kind of temple of Baal in there? Yes. And in the old, in the old Israel, the, all the people that are, they go, oh man, the Israeli things were all against these old people against them. They're so violent. Well, all of the cultures that were surrounding them were like Carthage. They were into child sacrifice and temple prostitutes and all kinds of weird yeah. sex magic that we call it sex magic today, probably, you know, you go in and do awful things. So, um, the past is present. The past isn't that far past, really. A lot of ways. Yeah, and the good news is that, I mean, it is, the Bible is a document that is alive, that is telling us prophecies that came true in the past, and there's prophecies that haven't come true yet. And the good news is that Battle of Armageddon, Christ is coming back, boom, you know, major, major battle. And that's what these people are being trained to fight against. That's the crazy thing. It's not just like, ah, we're going to take over the world. They're all getting ready because they believe some kind of an invading force is going to come and take the planet back. And you read the book of Revelation and it's the, the book is opened and the seals are removed. And it's literally like um, we're studying real estate. And one of the fun things is like, you know, a lot of these terms are really biblical terms about trusts and deeds and the ownership and the legal terms. And the Bible is a legal document or a collection document that is the process the planet's ownership going from lucifer back to god through jesus christ the son of god and the that earthquake time that we're in right now that is, we're gonna see some crazy stuff it's getting faster and faster like i would never believe yeah. where we were today with like the common yeah. culture from when i was a kid like this is unbelievable it's unbelievable man so. yeah anyway i gotta yeah. wrap it up dude is there any final words or anything you'd like to add where can people listen to your show and what kind of recent interviews have you done 
Um, well, we're doing a lot of um, networking with the Kingdom Talks people. So if you want to um, get updated on that, uh, that's Derek Grosskirth, the Truth Seeker, quote unquote, <laughs> Gil Hodges, Berlin Newbie. There's just a host of people. So I started a new website to just keep on top of what I'm doing personally, my readings of Chesterton and some of our past interviews uh, on thespiritforce.com. Thespiritforce.com. Only my content. And there's a newsletter on the top of that. You can click that. I'm about to send out the first one. Cool. So, um, I'm going to go do it. Yeah, right now. A lot more to do. <laughs> a lot the more to Spirit go. Force. There's a lot of work. The the spirit force which is the tip of the hat to trump space force thing and thinking you know with all these militaries and agencies and and good people that are that are going to come into contact with this stuff we putting my email in right now we want to give people a an arsenal of faith of fellowship of uh, maturity and also we're exploring the, the regions out there we're going into some things that even skywatch is like i don't know about these christian mystics and i'm i'll be the first to say i don't know about them too much either <laughs> but we need to um we're gonna doing a lot of of teachings trainings interviews with some pretty high level people mostly gill has been conducting them i've been a little bit busy this last few weeks but um just to teach people how to pray and how to kind of abide under the shadow of the almighty to abide in the secret place so that when you're getting inundated with information all day, you won't be overwhelmed because we're just getting started. You know, this is a marathon. It's not one battle. Um, and there's an army that is already in existence, but we haven't all kind of found each other yet. So that's sort of what's happening right now is that, you know, over the years, these interviews you've done with people and Johnny's built on the, you know, the Fringe Radio Network had um, Alex Jones on it wow, about 10 years ago. Um, one I of mean, the shows huge on there. now. The Fringe Radio Network is just massive. So people need to go check that out too. If the site itself needs to be promoted more, but the individual shows, I mean, you're getting a lot of, uh, your audience is very considerable. And when you put together all those numbers, it's not just, oh, the Fringe Radio Network itself, its website. It's your podcast, your YouTube channel. It's my stuff everywhere. It's Derek's stuff. It's, you know, uh, Daniel uh, Ott, Edge Radio AM. We have we have 100 shows on there. And if you were to tally up all those numbers, I would put Alex Jones on there if I could. I think we actually probably could, although we might get banned. But I consider <laughs> it, I consider the numbers thing, all of our numbers together. You know, I don't, I'm not, obviously I'm not really making hardly any money doing this except for patreon thank you people on patreon it pays for this office but it's god has an army god has a government and when you kind of raise your hand it's like you're you're joining the army you know you're you're going to a local uh recruiting station and an angel comes and watch your life go crazy <laughs> I mean, you can you can hear my story william ramsey interviewed me a while back and Julian Charles interviewed me, but the, the interview was a little bit too hot and he had to take it down because somebody really? was threatening him. <laughs> yes. Really? What was the, what was the, what was the issue? Uh, well, he got a little too deep into the children of God stuff and then some angry missionaries started threatening him. But it was a good interview. I mean, my, my life's been mayhem nonstop, but God's protected me and we're having a baby in a couple months 
getting our real estate Congratulations. license. I would like to learn more about the law, to be honest. I, I mean, I want to do a show. You know what I'll do? I'll do an open show Q and a, Anybody who has any legal questions could ask me because I get asked that all the time. I totally do but that. I would, I I'm would not allowed to, to give legal <laughs> advice, but I am allowed to talk about the law. So are you still no specific. Are you practicing right now? Or no, I'm an, an inactive member of the California state bar. But if I was practicing, I probably could in certain contexts provide, I mean, I could, yeah, there's issues with jurisdictions and stuff like that. Okay. But well, we need, I can talk about the law in general. Yeah, if anybody has any, I mean, I can give advice. I can also tell you where to go. You know? Not just in California, right? Like, right, I can, yeah, far. absolutely, absolutely. Well, I can tell you what to research or what I would do, but I don't, I don't, I cannot tell anybody an affirmative, take in any particular affirmative action. No. How, how, do I, how does one pass the bar exam, William? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, it's a lot easier in California now. My understanding is that it's only two days instead of three, but it requires a lot of study. There are classes that you take. You take a Barbary class, which is very important, but the best way to actually not freak out, there's only, it used to be only a 50% passage rate, but you have to study and you want to distill all of those different elements of the law into very digestible small parts, which means that you have to take constitutional law, property law, contracts, torts, criminal procedure, criminal law. I'm missing something else, but you have to take all Family. of those that are very vast black letter law and distill them down into a component that you can understand and then go take the bar for three days, not freak out, don't hang out with anybody else, literally go into kind of a monastic phase and I promise if you are able to go through three years of law school, you probably will pass. I think a lot of people uh, miss out because they don't, their test taking skills aren't that good. They should be good by the time you take the bar, but you also don't want to start talking with other people. The worst thing you can do is have, like group study is like the worst. So I think that's yeah. what really gets people in trouble. It's like, oh, you're all staying at that hotel. Oh, okay. I'll stay at that hotel. I didn't do that. I actually, yeah, yeah I stayed by myself studied by myself, took deep breaths. Actually, my test taking skill was actually to get up every half an hour and just look over my thing for two or three minutes and then sit back down, which was very strange because everybody else was freaking out. But it actually gave me kind of a, a mental objectivity that uh, I just went back through, okay, this is what I want to think, this is what I write. So I didn't just barf out things. The test is broken up into the three-day test was uh, 200 multiple guest questions on one day and then essay writing for the other two days. So you really wanted to kind of look at all these facts, put them all together, and then write these essays. But you, you, didn't, you really wanted to think about what you wanted to write before you wrote them. So there are different techniques that you can do to pass the bar in any state, really, I think. Well, how does one go? And that's great. I hope people will, will consider, especially your audience, if we have lawyers that are followers of William Ramsey investigates that would be so cool uh, we need lawyers you know we need good people ethical lawyers how do you go from that and I know that you have to go but um, maybe there's a show you can point us to but where where's the story of William Ramsey going from being an attorney to what you do that is you know very, well, very there is a story actually I think I posted it on was my DC days was uh okay 
and that's on my YouTube. You can listen to all like the time that I worked for a guy who was involved in the um, Vince Foster murder, which they call a suicide, which is fake. And that's kind of changed my, that was really kind of, not really like I got woke, but I was like, you can manipulate the entire media and tell them the story and have talking points through the party, whether it's the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And uh, so it's, I think it's DC Days. I did an interview with a guy. He was really one of the first early podcasters. His name was Visigoth. I know his real name, but he did some really good shows. And I was on his show. He was one of the early people who promoted me when I wrote Prophet of Evil nine years ago or 10 years ago. Him and actually Derek Gilbert. Derek Gilbert and I go way back. He was actually one of the few people who let me do an interview with a book that I literally printed out from a, from a printer, you know, it was eight by 10. It was terrible. So kudos to, to uh, Derek for that. But yeah, so I tell my story in kind of detail in DC, you know, I never, I didn't grow up in an occult family, so I didn't really know anything about masonry or secret society. So I was, I was naive. But, so we can find your DC days on your YouTube channel, Visigoth and the It was inter- actually an interview oh. I did with Visigoth. That's correct. Because your your research is incredible, your writing, and we went, we also I mean your life is so interesting. I want to just find that and listen to that when um, when I go to the. It's gym been later. an interesting. I mean, that's where I, mean, I got I actually myself talk about in I want, but I talk about all the FBI FBI agents I've I've had. Uh, inter, you know, uh, yeah. So I mean, let me see if I can find this. I'm going through my old stuff. Okay, so I did a show with Larry on Crowley and Hitler, Children of the Beast. It's it's uh the the show is on my YouTube. It's titled William Ramsey on Visigoth Raw Live, Our Occult Political Misleader, September tenth, two thousand eleven. I think that's either that one. I think that's one. That's the one that I did. I think that's the one that I was on. Also, was another one. No, I'm pretty sure that that was it. That's the one where I talk about it. Our occult political misleading. <clears throat> awesome. Got to go back through the thing. All right, man, I got to run. Nice well, with you, so Mike. it's an honor always. Thank you so much. Likewise, likewise man. Let's if you have a chance, then link. And um, whenever you, or when you post it, I'll, I'll grab it. Because you don't you post you the video. What's that? Say that again. Um, sorry. Yeah, you got a little bit choppy. Okay, the next book. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's. You know, one of the things that I've really wanted to look at in a show was is that uh, Carol S. Quigley, the Tragedy and Hope. Oh, that's um, a, that would be that would be definitely the first few hundred pages, show. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Not the whole oh, thing. Good. I think I have that. I'll send you a copy of it. Oh, on a PDF? Yes. Okay. Well, maybe our audience can stay tuned. Maybe we can um, we can discuss a little bit. I'm not an expert of, of his, but but uh, I think that's sure. probably from the Chesterton sector to maybe the more worldly sector. Would care less quickly. Tra- tragedy and hope would be one of the one of the most important kind of texts. I think you're right. I think you're right. And it'll make me go back and read it too, since I haven't actually finished that. Just just the first few hundred pages um, really 
sum up again kind of all of world history and, and it really gets into money which is very important very important well. so all right mike thank God you bless. very much Thanks for the show man take care thank you all right. righty bless you